I just had severe flashbacks to one of our track camps where we did rolling big gear kilos. And we did eight of them. A and kilo. I thought I'd suppress that memory, but it just came back. So thank you for that, Neil. Yeah, that's shuddering. A, a kilo in a big gear like that is that's a nasty, nasty, mean workout. Man, I'm glad I wasn't there. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Podcast brought to you by the Wahoo Sports Science team here in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Neil Henderson, head of Wahoo Sports Science. And I'm Matt Casson, senior sports scientist here at Wahoo. Today, we're going to talk about cadence, specifically low cadence, and how it can help you, oddly enough, get faster. Hmm, but it might not make you stronger, would it? We'll touch on that later, Neil. Ah, okay. First of all, we should probably define what do we mean by low cadence. For most of this topic, we're, we're really talking about relative to, to what is referred to as an optimal cadence or really preferred cadence. And when you look at that, there's a shift in a physiological standpoint and on a neuromuscular side when you shift significantly above or significantly below that optimal cadence. Okay, so that optimal cadence, is there much information on like where that, where the range is for that? Like, is it 40 to 140 or from 60 to 80 or 50 to 100, anything like that? Yeah, so it really depends on the intensity of that effort. But generally, you know, everyone's heard like, oh, 90 RPM is the best cadence to ride at. And that's sort of what is generally the goal. Now, a lot of people, 80, 85 is what's optimal. For some people, when they're newer to riding, you know, they're, they'll ride a lot slower. When you see a regular person in street clothes riding on a bike, they're usually pedaling pretty slowly. And part of that's just from a, a neuromuscular coordination, you know, an adaptation to being more efficient at pedaling faster. And so there becomes an upper limit where no matter how coordinated you are, you know, no one's optimal cadence aerobically is going to be at 130 RPM. But then when you talk about sprinting, you know, most people can produce peak power at around 130 RPM. And so you can do training at much higher cadences than that, and you can do training at much lower cadences than that. Yep. And there's also some fun, you know, evidence from like the hour record. Again, it's a, it's a specific task where anybody attempting that is on a fixed gear bike. So they have to start in the same gear they finish. But uh, there's only three instances that I know of over the past hundred years of an hour record being set at anything less than 100 RPM. One of them was in the early 1900s. So, you know, they were still figuring stuff out back then. Uh, one was Graham Obrey in uh, one of his special positions, I believe in the Superman position. Or the egg position. I forget which one. But I think it was the egg position the egg because position. he was essentially out of the saddle so he could yeah. get away with some yep. lower RPMs. Some slightly different things. And then uh, Matthias Brandley, when he set the record at the UCI headquarters in Egla on the 200-meter track, more G-forces, he actually faded in pace a little bit. And so his average was 99. So, you know, we could almost round it up to 100. But interesting there on a sustained hour effort, seems like maybe a little over 100 on a fixed gear on a track would be the right thing to do. Sounds about right. So low cadence then specifically is, you know, then pushing down below that 20% below the optimal cadence, which, you know, for a lot of folks, what we're talking 40, 50, 60 RPM, right? Yep. Right around that range for some people, it's going to be, again, if your optimal cadence is 75, then, you know, to get a sort of low cadence training st stimulus, that's going to be 45 RPM. And conversely, if you're able to go out at hundred RPM for a full hour and that's your most effective for that duration, then yeah, 60 RPM, even 70 RPM is probably going to be a good low cadence stimulus. I mean, is it just like you go out and ride around? 
you know, sustaining low cadence like that to get faster? Is that what we're talking about? That's not quite what we're talking about. It's a little more complex than that. And we can, we'll touch on that in a little bit. Okay. So like, let's maybe kind of pull this apart a little bit. So we often talk about power as one of the most important things in cycling. And, and, you know, power is a product of the torque being applied to the crank and then the, the cadence or speed of the movement of that crank. And so our big goal is to produce more power, sustain it for longer, possibly, right? So if we can manipulate these two variables of, of torque and cadence, which we can, then we can try to create a stimulus to change current capacity to improve power output. So holding a, a constant power, I could actually create a stimulus with a really high cadence or a really low cadence to to elicit some sort of specific adaptation. Is that really what we're talking about, Mac? Is that a way to think about this? Yeah, exactly. And the high cadence side of things has a, you know, that's a kind of a different realm of stimulus and, and we'll definitely be talking about that in another episode. But yeah, again, for, for that same power output, doing it at your preferred cadence, your optimal cadence versus doing it at a much lower cadence, it's going to cause a different physiological adaptation. And one of the, the interesting things that a lot of studies have shown is that when you decrease cadence below that, significantly below that optimal cadence, is you get a change in what's called joint-specific power production. And so when you're talking about cycling, you've got mainly three joints you're being used. So you've got your ankle, you've got your knee, and you've got your hip. And the strongest muscles are at your hip joint, they're your glutes. And when you drop cadence, there's actually an increase in glute activation. So you can get more training stimulus to your largest muscle group by doing some lower cadence training. Even if the power is the same, your TSS would be the same, all that's the same, but the actual adaptation or how your body is, is handling producing that power changes. Ah, that definitely sounds like a true benefit to me in terms of training then and dropping that cadence, being able to activate glutes more so for the same power and basically redistribute the power production to the back of back of things those big big power producing glutes all right that's definitely an important aspect here to consider there's also something to think about in terms of what's going on with the muscle fiber type that we have distributed within the muscles that are being recruited so the slow cadence is going to recruit more glute we're also going to see a little bit of a difference in that we're going to recruit more of our faster twitch muscle fibers at a lower cadence simply because the torque or force demand is higher. It's not the speed of the contraction that's causing this. It's actually the force torque requirement that recruits then these fast twitch fibers. And what we do see over time is that there is some conversion of what we call an undifferentiated fast fiber or type 2X glycolytic fast fiber to a type 2B or fast oxidative glycolytic or fast trained fiber, which if we have more of those type 2Bs, we're definitely going to be able to sustain that kind of higher force and power production for a longer period of time. That's definitely from the kind of combination of a neuromuscular and physiological benefit. Yeah. And so when we're, we're talking about fast twitch fibers, why those are less efficient is they just have lower capillary density and they have fewer mitochondria. So they don't produce power aerobically as efficiently. And it can be difficult if you're just riding at your normal optimal cadence. It's difficult to get those muscles to recruit without, you know, really having to increase the power demand. Because, you know, like you were saying, it's the torque requirement. That actual force is what's causing these muscles to be recruited. 
And so you can get away with essentially less overall strain, recruit those more, and that's how you're going to shift them. You're going to develop better capillaries there or mitochondria. That's how you get that shift. And really what that means is even if your event doesn't require any fast oxidative fibers, as you might think, you don't need a sprint or anything, you know, making those fibers more aerobic is going to definitely increase your muscular endurance when those things can kick in and, and help at intensities over really long durations. That's super important. What do you think about the the neuromuscular aspect of things then if we start using some big gear training? Are there any neuromuscular benefits like, say, coordination that you think would be potentially something that would help us as we try to go again at a normal cadence and, and produce and sustain a higher power? Is there something there that could be beneficial? Neil, I know one of your absolute favorite workouts to give people, and for good reason, is is standing starts or at least slow rolling starts where you're going to be, you know, most of the way down your cassette. It'd usually be in like the 14. You come as close to a stop as possible, and then you just give 20 seconds and just try to get up to speed as quickly as possible. And at that beginning, you it's all high torque stuff. Because it's high torque it's and really low RPM, you're getting really specific and coordinated engagement of the different muscle groups as you go through your pedal stroke. And when you combine that with the maximum force and recruiting all those muscles, it can really help lay down foundations of neuromuscular coordination where even when you then transfer to higher cadences or normal cadences, the way your muscles are contracting, it's more efficient. They're not working against each other as much. And so not only do you get a great you know, bump in, in peak power and high torque, all that benefit, you get a great neuromuscular stimulus. And it is, if you do it right, it's a very hard session. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of these to to really create a difference. Four or five, maybe six of these kind of 15 to 20 second maximal start accelerations are very, very effective. Within one hour, you know, you warm up, you do those efforts with five, six, eight minutes between them, and you're done. And the work is done for the day, and you're going to have some residual fatigue from that. But the benefits in reducing co-contraction, improving economy and efficiency will transfer beyond just that kind of instantaneous peak power development, but will improve your ability to sustain even a lower power output over time more effectively and efficiently. And that's really some of the name of the game, why this is beneficial for endurance athletes, not just kind of like sprint or track athletes. There's a bit of a technique aspect here. So if if you don't, if you've never seen a standing start on the track, like go to YouTube and search Chris Hoy or something. It's basically the equivalent of doing a, a deadlift on the bike, but we had a sprint coach who my favorite for terminology for it is it's like aggressively putting on pants. You're <laughs> keeping everything in line and you're bringing your hands towards your hips and it's it's a really linear movement. And that's that's one of the important differentiators than just you know going up a really steep hill and throwing the bike back and forth. By keeping it that really linear, it's much more similar to when you're sitting down, which is how you're going to be pedaling most of the time. You know, with anything that's good for you, too much of it is a bad thing. So let's start off with something a little bit more controlled intensity. And really, I'll even think about going below below FTP, closer to a tempo effort of maybe 80, 85% of your FTP power. But think about short intervals, two, three, four minutes long. And again, in that what what is relatively low for you, 
might be 60 RPM, someone else it might be 45 or 50 RPM. For somebody who, if they rev all the time over 100 RPM, 75 RPM might really be enough of a, a stress to get started there. But doing a few repeats like that where you're accumulating 15 to 20 minutes of total work in those two to four minute long efforts with typically equal recovery would be great. You could do this on a, on a slight incline. If you're outside on a, on a climb, you wouldn't want to be on a super steep climb. Typically, it might be too much. Trainer is also a super great place to be able to do this specifically, uh, whether you're in an erg setting, which keep in mind, if, you, if you're manipulating cadence in erg mode, it's going to take about 10 or 15 seconds for the resistance to adjust. So as you slow your cadence down, just count to 15, and then you should have the appropriate resistance to hit the power target at that cadence. My preferred method there is I just shift a couple gears. I know I'm in erg mode, but it's just trying to keep the wheel going the same speed. So it's like being out on the road. If you want to be in a lower cadence out on the road, you shift into a bigger gear and, and vice versa. So there's an, another option. You, you can do it that way. The other thing you could do is like a level mode or course mode where uh, you have to shift the whole time to get whatever resistance you need. And uh, you might need to adjust what level you're on depending on the kind of trainer you've got. You know, keep that in mind with what you've got. You might might need to, uh, you know, tweak, tweak where you do some of these training sessions. Well, once you've done a few tempo sessions, and, and first off, uh, well, not first off, since we already talked about the first off part of the thing, but second, uh, you don't want to do these sessions back to back. You might only want to do two a week and have a few days between them because they are more stressful, not just on the muscles, but also on your connective tissue. So give yourself a few days between these kind of sessions. Once you've done a couple of the, the tempo intensity sessions, then I would move up to something closer to FTP plus or minus, you know, five or 10% from your FTP for again, just a few minutes, two, three, four, up to five minutes with equal duration recovery between your efforts. Still again, maybe somewhere 20 at most around 30 minutes of, of training like that is quite beneficial. It's really important as you're doing these to, to keep your torso, your upper body as stable and rock solid as possible. You don't want to be like the, uh, the climbers that you'd see in the tour from the seventies who are just bobbing left and right, left and right, every pedal stroke, because that's really just inefficient. It's a waste of energy. And if you can't do it, it's a pretty good indicator that you need to do some more core work. Right. So think about engaging your core before you even shift into that big gear so that you can maintain that stability as you're pushing and being able to, to drive into the pedals. Once you've done a few of those sessions up closer to your FTP, then you know I would often include some map intensity targets that are at a three to one or two to one rest to work ratio. If it's, you know, a series of say six times 30 seconds at hundred percent of your map target at 50 RPM with 90 seconds of easy recovery at a normal gear, let's just say 80, 90 RPM for those 90 seconds between each effort, maybe a couple sets like that would be really a quite quality big gear session. What we can both agree on is probably the primary benefit here is going to be that increased muscular endurance that when you go out on a normal ride, you know, you're going to feel better at the end of it if you really focus on developing that muscular endurance through this low cadence, high torque training. Definitely. In summary, we can kind of say that, you know, low cadence is, is really, is really beneficial for a number of different reasons. You want to make sure you start with lower intensity and, and shorter blocks if you've never done it before to avoid injury and just like the rest of your training gradually increase the power or the duration or both 
and then start mixing in those really high torque starts and, and seated efforts. And before you know it, you're going to be faster, but maybe not stronger. More power to you, Mac. And that's it from here at the Knowledge Podcast. We'll catch you next time, helping you learn about how to get faster and have more fun while doing it. Thank you.